Welcome back to another episode of the Friday Show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the set manager at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter, as long as it's still there, at DMelt57. Uh, we apologize for the lack of a show last week. We had uh, some things with our personal lives and our jobs and everything. Schedules just couldn't work out, so we didn't have anything for you last week. But we do have something for you this week, even with Eric from Chicago away on assignment. I was flying solo this week, but I have an episode for you that I, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this. So... Uh, a bit of a preamble here. Uh, one of the guiding philosophies of everything we do here is that we're either going to talk or write or whatever about things that we find interesting in the hopes that you'll find them interesting as well. And one of the topics that I've really, really gotten more into as I've gotten older is the idea of what sports can tell you about a culture and vice versa. So w- with that philosophy in mind, I have two guests for you today. One of them is Alfie House. He's a reporter for the Daily Echo covering Southampton Football Club. And he's also a regular panelist, excuse me, on the Total Saints podcast, which also obviously covers Southampton. And we also have Ben Stanfield with us, who is the founder of the Total Saints podcast, a lifelong Southampton supporter, and he also hops on the podcast as a regular guest as well. Uh, Our conversation went to a whole bunch of different places, uh, promotion and relegation, stadium experiences here, and uh, Ben has been to several Major League Baseball stadiums, so we had some kind of discussion and comparison and contrast. Uh, his experiences there. We talked about ice hockey in England, or maybe the lack thereof. Uh, if those of you who remember the Peter Check story from Blackhawk season, uh, that came up a little bit as well. And there's also a very random connection between Southampton and the National Hockey League, which you probably weren't aware of unless you're a Southampton supporter like uh, those of us were. Uh, and of course, because we do what we do, we had some food topics as well. Um, and yes, to make our guests from across the pond feel welcome, I did say football instead of soccer. You're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, that That's what I did. So there you go. Um, but that's enough for the preamble. Uh, I really hope you enjoy this episode. If nothing else, a Shy Saints fan on Twitter who follows me will definitely appreciate this one. So this one's just for you and for everyone else. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to Alfie for being very generous with their time. And let's get over to the episode. Southampton watched them play. Uh, I, I was not aware of how many games the championship schedule has. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's so many. <laughs> I got there's it. a lot more to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, that, that is one way to look at it. Um, so uh, welcome in Alfie House and Ben Stanfield are here from the Total Saints podcast. Ben and Alfie, thank you so much for taking the time out today. What was it about 730 uh, where you two are right now? That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So as, to be with you. Yes, yes, it's it's a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, ben and Alfie are are integral parts of the Total Saints podcast, which talks all about Southampton FC, and they're we're here for a little cross 
cross-cultural, cross-sports conversation. And if you couldn't tell already by the sound of their voices, they are both in the UK. <laughs> um, <laughs> and 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 the, the the overlap here is that they are much longer time uh, in, involved with this. But I've in the last ten years, I've become a huge Southampton supporter. And uh, I, the the big overlap that I wanted to start with you two to talk about with the team we cover, the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL. So the Southampton last season was in the Premier League at the top of the English football pyramid, finished last in the league, got relegated down to the championship. The Blackhawks were one of the worst teams in the league. I think they were second or third from the bottom ultimately. And they won a little lottery. And because of all of that, they were intentionally bad. They traded away players to make themselves as bad as possible. And now in about a month or two, um, basically a Canadian Leo Messi is going to be joining the team and could carry the team to an entirely new world of success. So as you, as you two hear that, uh, basically the lack of a promotion and relegation system in American sports, um, how, how does that strike you knowing that, uh, like, you know, there's hearing that one team could be at the bottom of the table and instead of getting relegated, and having to sell a bunch of players, they are getting rewarded with a high draft pick and getting the ne- a generational talent in its place. I think the one thing that it does do, it probably does over time, uh, it encourages competitiveness in the short term, but I think in the long term, it probably hinders hinders the sport. But like the idea of, of having teams go from being bottom of the league or bottom of the division and then able to get into the playoffs next season, you know, I think of the Mariners last year, that was the long was the longest run in American sports without reaching the playoffs and what was that, like 19 or 29 years or something? So Yeah, something uh, like that. Know, yeah, I mean, in England, there are teams that in their 150-year history have never been in the Premier League, you know, stuff like <laughs> that. So I think in the short term, it encourages competitiveness, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's. I think it like to your point, it's it, it gives you a very roller coaster ride. It's either you're up near the top or you're you're doing everything you can to get down near the bottom, and I'm not sure how much I appreciate that. I don't know, Ben. What do you think about the whole lack of promotion and relegation? Yeah, I I, I think there's two parts to this. So I, I think Alfie's point that he makes is is really good in terms of sort of long term and short term strategic decision making. Because in, in I refuse to use the S word, so apologies to all your listeners. But in I, football, I, in I, football I was, over here, I'm gonna yeah. There's gonna be there's gonna be a forewarning, and I'm gonna try to avoid using it as well. <laughs> so so in football over here, um, you know, clubs often try to think two, three, five years ahead about, you know, what their pathway is in terms of the team, what league they're going to be in, you know, all those sort of things. So it doesn't always pay off, as we just said there, in terms of Southampton getting relegated. But I, I think, you know, the, the 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 approach that you've just spoken about maybe talks about suddenly halfway through a season when that trade window opens, making decisions that impact the short term. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think for me, you know, the big thing is, and, and I'd be interested to get Alfie's view as a journalist here, is it's, it's, it's that sort of adrenaline almost Dave that you know Mm. the promotion and relegation you know by the time you get towards the end of a season probably 60 to 70 to 75 percent of the teams have still got something to play for now um you know in terms of US sports I I predominantly baseball is my my sort of main interest um you know I I, I try to follow the other sports but you know you can get towards the end of a season where teams I don't know 50 and 
80 or something like that in the baseball and they're bottom of the table. They've got nowhere to go, nothing to really play for. They're just seeing out the end of the season. They're not going to make the playoffs. So I think for me, and, and particularly with Southampton, where it's always been a sort of, you know, an up and down, we've generally been fighting at the bottom of the league, but you've always got that excitement and adrenaline and something to turn up for. And sometimes it goes for you and you stay up and it almost feels like you've won a, a championship title or something like that. Other times, as we saw last year, it doesn't. And then you get the emotion of having to go through that. So I think that's the one thing promotion and relegation does bring it. It brings that sort of aspect of adrenaline, excitement and emotion. Yeah. I think it's interesting that teams tank deliberately as well. um, Yes. um, uh, Dave, like, you know, you wouldn't, I mean, although we were watching Southampton last season, it may have looked like they were tanking deliberately. They were in (laughs) theory trying. Felt like it. The whole way. Yeah. And there was no pick, you know, you don't get a magical pick at the end for for the losing every game. So I think the idea that teams can almost set us down tools and tank so they can have a better season next year, that's completely foreign to English sport. Yeah. And, and I think that's like the big thing with the tanking philosophy that I, I talked about so much and why that was so offensive to me is because I think it kind of it uh, it offends like what I think is the soul of sports in general is like this is just supposed to be fun entertainment. And like when your team is making a business decision to lose as many games as possible. Like that just that takes everything. What you're not even trying, and that's such a cynical, jaded, terrible way to look at sports. I can't get there, and I hate that that philosophy is now. It's becoming more and more commonplace because of the way the sports are set up in this country. And and I think the thing to add to that as well is, um, you know, we're we're all fans, right? We're all fans of sport. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we pay our money, we go along. And and Alfie and I, you know, haven't battled through it last year. You don't feel always that you're getting value for money. And I think you know, yes. sports going to sports these days costs a lot of money. I, I think you know depending on what the sport is, depending where it is, when it is, you know, it can cost a lot of money and you don't want to go along, particularly if it's the sort of circumstance you've spoken about there, Dave, where you pretty much know the team is going to lose because they're obviously on a a mission to sort of get themselves into a scenario that then benefits the following year. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that speaks to it too, because, you know, it's not like in in three or four years, you're going to get a, a voucher for a free coupon because you went to the game four years ago when the team wasn't any good. And now they're competing for championships and, oh, here's a coupon for a free game because you mm. came four years ago. Their ticket prices are going to skyrocket when they get good again. So, yeah, it's just I, I think it's just that it's um, I'm glad to hear it. like it, it sounds like there's a I, I guess the uh, the other side of that coin, though, and um, the with the way the the leagues are set up. And I think, uh, Ben, to your point about Major League Baseball, I think that's the closest comparison for the way the Premier League is because there's no salary cap in Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. So there tends to be a case of the haves and the have-nots, like the Yankees always seem to be up there. Every now and then there's a a team that comes along and, and gets some really good young talent and has a good season, but... You know, like there, there's a handful of teams that always seem to be in it every year. The Yankees, the Red Sox, they are your uh, Manchester City, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. Like it's a similar idea that there is like this handful of teams that are probably going to compete for a championship and handful of teams who never will. And it feels like Southampton is more in the never will category mm. ultimately. So d- does that does that um, like, you know, I mean, I mean, Leicester City happened, but that was such a rare occasion i don't know is there any is there any uh thought on behalf of you two that you kind of wish there was a different system in place to where maybe southampton had a chance at competing with the big clubs like that well yeah you so go on on, no no after you well i'm just sort of tossing the question up in my own mind as i speak sort of thing because the idea of like say southampton finishing 17th and then being able to take some of the best players that are coming out of 
top academies, which is in theory what they're trying to do if they're paying for them. And then, you know, have them. I mean, the fact that in American sports, players come out at 20, 21 years old and so many of them make an instant impact is slightly different as well because that doesn't tend to happen quite as much in, in English football. I, I wouldn't say a lot of them uh, uh, take some time. But yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see what Southampton could do if they were given some picks. And But I guess what you've got this year is they've been relegated. They've finished bottom of the Premier League and now they're one of the favourites for the Championship. So now right. the supporters who pay their money, mm. they are they are going for a title again. It's not the Premier League title, but they're going for a slightly okay. different title. And when you're there... It doesn't matter what the division is, what the cup is. If you want, if you if you if you can win something, you want to win it. So yeah. I think that you you don't miss out completely on that feeling. Um, but football is coming in England. Obviously, the top six and now top seven with Newcastle, they're so unimaginably far ahead of these bottom teams with with funds and we're talking hundreds and billions of pounds. Um, and the way to neutralise that would be to have an American style sort of system. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's um, from my point of view, you know, I'm born in Southampton, I'm bred in Southampton, you know, all my family have been Southampton fans. That's the reason that I grew up and was encouraged to to support them. We all, we all have our reasons for supporting the teams that we do, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. where we're born, whether it's family, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it's really easy for me to turn around tomorrow and go, do you know what? Southampton being relegated, I'm going to go and support Manchester City or something like that. But that, that's not the way that I work. That's not the way that 99% of the fans around the world in, in sport work. So mm-hmm. I think for me, you know, the, the, the thing that I have to remember is Southampton are not the greatest sporting team in the world. They never will be. There's plenty of clubs around the world that can say that. But actually, I've been following 35 years now, Dave. I would say that probably off the top of my head, 25 years of that. Um, they've been in the Premier League, so they've been in the top league. So I also need to tell myself that there are hundreds and hundreds of teams below them that are not as good as Southampton. So I probably need to do, you know, take the rough with the smooth a little bit and realise that, yeah. yeah, they're not the greatest team in the world, but they're both far from the worst team in the world. Yeah, I think there is a there's more of an appreciation that in other cultures, uh, in life in general, I feel like there's a very American mindset of. If you're not the winner, you're the loser. If you're not first, you're last, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it carries over into sports a little bit in ways that are not necessarily good to where if your team is not the champion, you, it's not a fun season. And like I, there are plenty of like the majority of teams, the majority of seasons, you do not end up winning the championship at the end. But you can't tell me they're still not fun in them along the way. Like Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as Elfie said, the other thing that comes with it these days as well is the – the financial rewards as well. So, you mm-hmm. know, the team that finishes fourth or fifth in the, the Premier League will make, be making millions and b- billions of pounds that they can then use for other reasons as well. So, yeah, as you say, it's not always about winning. I mean, obviously, we're we're, we're less born and bred over here. It's all the, you know, taking part and all that sort of thing. Have a, have a fun time <laughs> and everything. But uh, yeah. but actually, you know, the, the, the reality is there can only be one winner, but actually coming second, third, fourth, fifth can still be very rewarding, particularly financially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and And... And again, I think I think there's a lot of things that I've uh, read and watched and learned and try and tried to pick up about the Premier League. And I'm, I know I'm still very much a novice. Like I said, it's only like 10 years or so that I've been really getting into this. So if I'm wrong about if any of my preconceived notions of the Premier League, feel free to tell me I'm wrong because it's entirely <laughs> possible that I am. Uh, but I want to go back to the thing you mentioned, Ben, about you were born and ra- uh, born and raised in Southampton. And, and that's um, I, I think that's how most people pick their sports allegiances as you wherever you happen to be born the nearest big city that has all the teams those mm. are the teams you like that's how it worked for me i've been in the chicagoland area pretty much my whole life so naturally i like all of the chicago teams and mm-hmm. i i the the one interesting difference between the way uh, i think i i've 
I want to say European, but it might even be beyond this. But it feels like whenever you are talking about your teams, you will say we. And I feel like that there's almost a that's almost like a taboo thing in America to say we because I'm not on the Chicago Blackhawks or the Bears or the Fire or any of those teams. Uh, it, it feels like there's more of a sense of ownership of teams among the supporters and fans in in England specifically. Do you feel that, Ben? Do you feel a sense like of some level of like communal ownership of the team because it's where you where you were born and raised? Yeah, I, I think to a certain extent, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, if if I just worry about Southampton and, and without boring all the listeners about Southampton constantly, but it's <laughs> it's you know, it's it's a football club that originated from a church in the city, so it oh, represents yeah. the city. You know, it's it's very much the the lifeblood of Southampton. You know, mm-hmm. we're a we're a one city um, club, so you know, there's clubs around England, Birmingham, London, places like that. They have multiple clubs. Southampton is a one city club, so I think for mm-hmm. that reason, we've always connected it with it really uh, strongly. And as I say, I think there's lots of generations that are coming through, you know, lots of them reading Alfie's brilliant work and starting to really understand what Southampton's about and, and, you know, that generation that we need to take it forward. But for me, Dave, I think following 35 years, you know, it's the, the ground is 10 minutes from where I was born and raised. So it's, you, you, you do just feel a part of it. It's that roller coaster every Saturday going to watch them. And, you know, 90, as I say, 99 times out of hundred, they lose and you go, well, why am I bother? But you go back the following week. So you just build that connection with it over time. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of, um, it becomes ingrained in you, doesn't it? Yeah. You've stolen my point there, Ben, because I was literally <laughs> about to mention that before every single Salaman game, they play that video where it says it all started in a church and it's a, yeah. a pre-match promo video about the fact that the club was, you know, St. Mary's Young Boys Association or whatever it was called. Um, and the clubs across the country, I, I'm actually a Bristol City fan because um, I was born in, in Burnham-on-Sea in Somerset, which is near Bristol. And like mm-hmm. like you mentioned, it's the nearest big city that has a club sort of thing. And, you know, we have the Ashton Gate 8 who were eight players in 1982, 1983, who ripped their contracts up because the club was on its knees financially and they had to get rid of some of their assets, get rid of some of the liabilities rather, in order to continue functioning. So eight players volunteered to rip their contracts up and leave the club for free. And we call them the Ashton Gate Eight. They're all over the walls everywhere. It's all about legacy and, and mm-hmm. history in, in football in England. And I don't know if that's the same in America. I'm sure it absolutely is. Um, but that's what makes you feel connected. It makes you feel like you know who was there, you know what it was about and, and you're part of it. And, I, and and sorry, David, I was just going to say, for people that don't know, Alfie, I mean, um, obviously Bristol's got two clubs, hasn't it? Bristol City, Bristol Rovers. Yes. So mm-hmm. so from your point of view of picking up Bristol City, was that because they were closer to where you were born? You you had family? It was just, you know, you went to watch them first? What what was your sort of reason for it? Yeah, so Bristol Rovers is mainly the north of Bristol towards the Gloucestershire way, whereas Bristol City is sort of the south and, and the city centre. And I was south in Somerset, so it was sort of the closest one. There you go. They it, it are so, better, though. Fortunately, <laughs> this sounds it sounds very Cubs and White Sox from from, from baseball <laughs> yeah. in Chicago. Um, yeah. It's you know south and north side of the city, and I it feels like uh, the the city uh, the suburbs around the city of Chicago they seem to be more White Sox fans. I don't have an explanation for why that is, um, but like you know, with the Cubs stadium, it's in the middle of the neighborhood. It, mm. It's like there's nowhere to park anywhere near. It's it's very much <laughs> a fabric of that area, and so it's you know I I think people that live anywhere near there it's it's uh it's a part of who they are because it's a part of the it's the neighborhood's called Wrigleyville and it's, mm. it's Wrigley Field in Wrigleyville so it's obviously a big part of it. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that cuz I noticed I was they were on telly the other week and they had Wrigleyville on their shirts. See, I've learned something already Dave. Oh, see, there you go. We're we're all we're all learning <laughs> new things today. Um and like to to your point about the, how the the legacy and how everything is ingrained there. Um there's been so, uh it hasn't happened to any of the Chicago teams Yet, knock on wood, it will never happen. What would happen if some owner came in and tried to move Southampton to a different city? 
How would that? <laughs> what do you think the reaction to that would be? Well, I'd say more. Uh, I'd say more for them. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are laws in England that clubs can't even change the name of the club. Wow. So, so, so okay. For sponsorship. So Red Bull can't come into England, buy Southampton and call it Red Bull Southampton. So I don't think there's any way that they'd be able to move a club. You can move stadiums, but it would have to be, I'm sure, ratified by a load of different supporter clubs and stuff. Um, but I, I don't think you could move it, Ben. What do you mm. think? No, no. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking, and again, without going into too much detail, I mean, there's, there's obviously been clubs, Dave, that have maybe been on the brink of administration or folding. So Alfie, I'm thinking of Wimbledon, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. Milton Keynes Dons was kind of formed from them. And then Wimbledon re, you know, reinvigorated themselves. And now both football teams are in the the, the football pyramid, um, Dave. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're, we're quite lucky over here because, you know, again, you hear a team, obviously the Brooklyn Dodgers moving to LA. I mean, it's not like you're just moving around the corner, is it? I mean, no. you're literally no, moving absolutely. thousands of miles away. So, uh, so I think the thought of doing that, um, you know, w- would obviously be pretty tragic, but I think the good thing is touch wood, it'll never happen. <laughs> yeah. What happens, yeah. Dave, in that situation when, you know, for example, St. Louis and, and the Chargers and the Rams, and what, what, what happens when you support a team, you thought they were your local team, then they get moved thousands of miles upstate? Mm. I, I, uh, Again, fortunately, I have not had to experience this, but I, I think I, I, there are certainly teams who are fans who will follow. You know, your team moves, you still have a, uh, an emotional attachment to the team. I think your heart goes with them when they move out. Hmm. I, I think like the, the best example for this would be the Cleveland Browns in, in the Amer- in, uh, American football, where they they picked up and moved to Baltimore and they actually won a championship after they moved. And then a few years after that championship, a brand new Cleveland Browns team came back to that city. And wow. so I, I imagine all the fans came back to the original Cleveland team. But I, I honestly don't know what I would do with that because that would be that would be such a a violation of everything that yeah. I go for about sports. <laughs> and I it would it would be I would have a hard time following the team. But also that's the team I followed. So I, I don't know. Is it is it an easy thing to do, Dave? I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen a lot, does it? So I'm thinking there's been a lot of act- activity around Las Vegas over the last years, hasn't there, and that sort of thing. But I mean, it doesn't it doesn't happen a lot, does it? So it's not like every other year there's teams moving. There's obviously specific reasons, you know. I'm thinking Oakland Raiders moving to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where it does happen, but it's not common theme, is it? I I wouldn't say common by any means, no. But I it seems like I, it feels like one to two teams per year on average, like across mm. all sports. Um, it just it seems like there's been more movement recently because all these owners want new stadiums because they want fancy new new places for their teams to play. And the cities they're in won't uh, give them money, even though these are millionaires or probably billionaires. So they don't need any more money. So then they pick up and go somewhere else mm-hmm. like it's it's happening right now with uh, in, in, in Oakland again with their with the athletics to where their their baseball team was uh, the owners. Uh, just not spending any money on the team. The team's terrible. The fans aren't showing up because the team's terrible. And now the owner is saying, well, no fans are showing up. So I'm going to move the team to Vegas. Mm -hmm. So, but that's, that's the, that's, I think one of the most cynical developments that has happened in a long time in American sports, watching all that happen. Yeah. So uh, another thing I I wanted to get your opinions on, and it's kind of quite, I I think it's quieted down for a while, but last year there was all that super league talk that came out Mm. about uh, leagues across teams and clubs across Europe, going basically adopting the American sports model. I think of creating a league where nobody goes in and out of you're just in the league and, and all that Uh, has that cooled down. And is that, is that something that 
people are worried are going to come back again, or do they think the 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 visceral reaction from fans kind of killed any possibility mm, of that? I think that the, the reaction from the fans sort of killed the possibility of it. Um, what I would say is it was mainly charged by Real Madrid and Barcelona, mm. who um, Barcelona especially have no money, basically. So they don't get yeah. paid that much in Spain. Like, I'm going to say that much is completely ludicrous amounts of money, of course. But the amount of yeah. money compared to Premier League clubs and stuff like that isn't as big in Spain. So they really wanted the Super League to happen. Juventus from Italy, who've got loads of finance problems, was another one. But yeah, basically the fans made the voice clear on that. And in England... I think the government have actually put into law that English clubs can no longer join a breakaway like Super League or anything like that. It's actually done by the government. So there's a clear resistance to it. The only thing I would say is that it's it's only by name, the Super League. You know, what we have in mm. Europe is called the Champions League, of course, I'm not insulting your intelligence, um, but any listeners who who might not know, um, they're the, the Champions League where the best teams in Europe all play each other. And that's becoming slightly more closed shop now in the sense that yeah, UEFA, the organisers, are offering legacy spots. So teams that finish outside of the qualifying ranks in their leagues, if they happen to be a big team or a team who's performed well in Europe over the past 10 years, they'll be given a free legacy spot and they can join the Premier competition even though they haven't qualified. So I think uh, the Super League is gone in by, by name, but I think we're sort of seeing that shift towards legacy positions and, and big teams trying to preserve their status uh, and, and preserve their cash flow. Yeah, that's And it's interesting you mentioned that because there was... Um, uh, I, I had a compare comparison for this that it just completely lost my uh, completely left my mind. That's fair enough. I, apologies. <laughs> happens to the happens to the best of us, right? It does. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I because uh, I learned recently there's there's Champions League hockey that, uh, across several mm. the, the European leagues. I believe it's uh, the Scandinavian countries in particular, and uh, I think Germany. Czech Republic. Yeah, mm-hmm. Czech Republic's in there, yeah. and I believe Germany has a few teams in there as well. Because I actually um, watched my first hockey game in the Czech Republic last year. I, I think it was Skoda Pozen versus uh, Sparta Prague. I don't know if you're familiar with those teams. Yeah. Were there any yeah. fights? There were loads of fights. Yeah, in the, <laughs> in the crowd and on the on the the rink. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because because there's like uh, with the the draft system that we have in in the NHL and across American sports, like um, it, the. Uh, the NHL, it's a little different where they draft players and for the most part, they don't arrive for two or three years. They stay either at their, their colleges or their leagues in Canada, or a lot of them are over in Europe uh, right now playing. So we've been keeping, te- I, I haven't been able to watch any games. Uh, they're not really on television here and I can't find them online, but uh, every now and then you'll see uh, some clips come across from a, uh, from some of the European hockey. And actually the, uh, the fan thing that you mentioned there, Ben, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about next was the, the in-stadium experience. Now, Mm. Ben, I believe you said you've been to a few American stadiums before. Yeah, um, predominantly baseball. I was, I was making a okay. list yesterday, actually, Dave, doing my homework. So uh, I've, I've worked out. I've been to, I've been to nine parks. Although one of those was Candlestick Park, Three Con Park, which is no longer in existence, is it? So, okay. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, because the, the main thing I wanted to ask, and again, it's a different sport, so it's not it's not the best comparison in the world. But how did you? What did you think about your in stadium experience uh, at these Major League Baseball stadiums compared to what you experienced going to see football matches in the UK? Yeah, so so I mean it's it's difficult because I'm comparing. Um, so I, I've only ever been to one NBA game. I've never been to an NHL game. I've never been to an NFL game. Obviously, I've okay. watched them on telly, but um, been to quite a few MLB games and then obviously AAA and stuff like that as well. And it's a, so I'm I'm kind of comparing as we would say in the UK apples and oranges here because it's right. kind of it's baseball against football um it's, it's almost what you want to do is compare baseball to cricket but i'm not going to bore your listeners about cricket <laughs> um but uh um I, I i think the thing is that the the difference is and and, and alfie will appreciate this because he gets to see it every week is 
in in football we have home sections and away sections so there's very much instantly a, a them and us um kind of environment and it creates yes. that that atmosphere you know you can obviously sing at each other taunt each other you know the the cheers are louder because everyone's grouped together that sort of thing um obviously having gone to baseball um you know and and as far as i know all the american sports are kind of like this everyone it's a bit like rugby and cricket over here everyone sits together everyone can have a beer you know the atmosphere is a lot more um i wouldn't say friendly because obviously at nfl i appreciate it can get very uh, sorry yes. NFL it can get very passionate yes it can um, but, but, but I think that's, that's kind of you know to me it feels like a, the, the games are more of a, a family environment um, and I think yes. whenever we've been maybe it's just because we're outsiders but I've always found Americans incredibly um, polite and helpful at kind of educating you about what is happening in the game if you don't understand it you know what's going to happen next we need to get up there's going to be a seventh in a stretch all those sort of things yeah. um to kind of make you you know part of part of that whereas i think football is is less like that you turn up you shout and scream at your team you go home um so so i think that's probably the difference is for me it's, it's felt like more of a a family feel and, and i think the last thing i would say is Americans know how to build sports stadiums. I think whenever I've been to the MLB games, you mentioned Oakland there. I mean, I've, I've been to the Coliseum a long time ago. You know, all of the baseball grounds, all of the NFL grounds, I mean, they look amazing on telly. And I think if you haven't had a chance to go to them, I think uh, highly recommend it. Have, have you been to any of the Chicago ones? Uh, I've not. I've never been to okay. Chicago, actually, Dave. So it must well, be on, I, uh, on my list. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll add it there. Uh, Alfie, <laughs> I, I believe you said you have not been to any of the stadiums here, correct? I've never been to America, no. Oh, okay. oh there you go. Okay, well, there you go. Well, yeah, because I, I think I think if you came to an American football stadium, Ben, and, and it, I think the, those those games, I think mainly because they only play 17 games and it's every Sunday. So I think that's the best comparison for the for any of the football leagues in England mm-hmm. or anywhere else in the world to where it's, it's one a week. And so yeah. it feels like there's a lot more. There's a lot more stakes involved every single time. And the crowd tends to respond accordingly. They tend to be pretty pretty hostile but i i i've uh after I, i've long thought about like this whole i i know with the they have the the away the way fans and the home fans are sitting in their designated areas and i've i've longed for them to do that in america but it feels like it'll never happen because i i, I think part of it is just the logistics of it in terms of there's so much uh there's so much ground to cover uh, I got the, the landmass of our, mm. of our country. I think there's, you don't get as many away fans. So I think they may not fill up that section like for, you know, any of these Chicago, any of their big rivalries, like teams in Minneapolis or St. Louis, all this, all the nearby ones, you know, those are a short drive or fl- a flight or train ride away. Maybe those stadiums would fill up in the away fans, but I think anywhere else, the away fans, like you're going to have an entire empty section of the stadium because not many fans are going to make it. So I would yeah. love, I would love to they do that because it does create an atmosphere that is, it's a little more intense, but I think that's, it's fun. Like that, that's kind mm. of the part of the enjoyment of it. Yeah. No, totally. And you're right. I mean, what, what's Saints' longest trip this season now? If you're up to Sunderland, what's that? 400, Sunderland, yeah. 400 uh, miles or something? You know, it's, yeah, something like that. For, for you guys, Dave, that's not even the end of your state, is it? So. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Uh, I think it's it's about a four and a half to five hour drive to St. Louis, five hours by train, probably <laughs> maybe three to 400 miles. So yeah, yeah so you're, you're long, and that's probably the shortest one. Well, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe Detroit's not too far away, but but still, I I think like when when you for Chicago has to play in New York and L.A., you're going from the middle of the country to either coast, and mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's kind of difficult to do. I actually, so I I don't know, I I think I forgot to mention to the two of you in the pregame show, but I went to the uh, Watford match last March 
at no, no, St. Mary Stadium, which it, it was great until Watford terrible game to and, choose. Was that a two one? Oh yeah. yeah, lost to yeah. yep, yeah. All the goals in the first half, and by the time Southampton scored, the crowd was ready to riot because they were already down two <laughs> nil to Watford. Yeah. So the goal wasn't even a celebration. It was more of like a relief of, all right, maybe they'll show up. And then they didn't. But I, mm. I think that the other experience that uh, the that from from football and watching and this seems to be across all countries, because I think you see this happen at the World Cup to where just the, the constant singing and chanting and everything from the supporter sections is incredible. And that doesn't happen much at all in any in any other American sports. And I don't know why. We did not adopt that from every other country in the world. Mm. Um, I, I guess this, I don't know if it's like, it's just an organic cultural thing in England to, to be singing that much. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have any, any well, explanation. We drink quite a lot. So <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so I'm wondering if it's coming from that. It yeah. probably is. It probably is. What, what about the MLS, Dave? I mean, obviously, we, we get to see well, some coverage of that on telly over here. I mean, is that, is that, because, you know, is that a bit more atmospheric in terms of sort of following the model of football in general? I think so. Yeah. I, and I think they're, uh, I, I'm sure they're emulating everything they've seen on TV from all the other leagues. Um, and there's, de- there's definitely a, a good, if you, especially, uh, some of the teams that have much bigger followings or have had more success, uh, the fire in Chicago been pretty terrible, but the, the Seattle Sounders have a huge following. Atlanta's had a big one cause they've been good for a while. Mm-hmm. And obviously with Messi showing up in Miami now that, <laughs> that, so th- there, there is plenty of that in that particular, I don't, maybe it's a, it's a sport specific thing. And maybe that's why it hasn't made it to football or hockey or anything else. But then uh, I guess I saw a video of uh, champions league hockey last year. And I think it was, it might've been, I think it was one of the Czechia teams, but mm-hmm. they were, they were similar. Like there were, they were singing and clapping and everything. And I feel like a lot of the American sports, there's um there's always some sort of musical aid to them. Somebody's on drums or a trumpet or some other brass instruments. And it's, it, it's something, it seems very organic or much more organic everywhere else in the world. Uh, do do you, either one of you have any knowledge or uh, explanation of like the the roots of all that and how that all got started? Oh, that's a really good question. I can't say question. I do. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously the the football fan culture just sort of started in more well, sixties, seventies, eighties. Just mm-hmm. young lads on the terrace enjoying themselves. Really, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I'd assume it's just organic. Uh, I, th- I think you're right because it kind of turned in from you know if you look back at the old um, sort of photos around the, the sort of 1900s and things like that when it was the FA Cup finals it was a lot more gentlemen's in bowler hats mm. and all that sort of thing so uh, I, you know I've googled it here Dave because it would have annoyed me otherwise so it says football fans vocalizations came in the form of cries chants and songs in the 19th century war cries were known to have been used by football fans from the 1800 onwards with the earliest recorded in Scotland after the Scottish cup final of 1887. So I think it probably has been around. It's just evolved into more creative and uh, Mm -hmm. moronic football chants and songs these days. (laughs) hasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And and I feel like, well, because there's, you know, there's always the, the specific sections where that all originates from. And maybe like uh, the thing you talked about with how everyone kind of sits with everyone at Mm. American sporting events, maybe that's why it hasn't, because you'll be, you know, though you'll have you have five old guys who might be participating in something like that, sitting next to a a family with four kids who probably aren't paying attention to the game. They're trying to make sure the kids aren't in trouble. Yeah, so, well, so in England we have a, yeah we have these specific sections, don't we? So in yeah. England, like we in Bristol City, it's section eighty two of the East End. Section eighty two mm-hmm. of the East End is where anybody who wants to make a racket goes and stands. They don't sit, they stand. So I think. 
football clubs like they try and pull, pull those people together and encourage that that noise and atmosphere. I don't know if that's something that's not happening in America. Yeah, and, and ironically, at St Mary's, Alfie, it's the Northern Stand, isn't it? Which is about as far away from the family stand as you can yeah. get. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, I think some stadiums will have like family friendly zones where they won't even allow. I believe they ban alcohol from those mm-hmm. sections as well, just to ensure that uh, mm. everyone everyone behaves and and the kids don't pick up any new words while they're there. But uh, but I think that's a but for the most part, like I I, I like it, the usually the season ticket holders tend to sit in this similar area, not always the same. But um, yeah, I, I, that's that's one thing from going to the uh, Southampton match last year and just hearing the singing in person. And then I got to see uh, Arsenal and Liverpool at the Emirates and just the the constant noise for 45 minutes of each half is just it's an experience unlike any other I've had in sports. And mm. I I. I crave more of it. And it, I think it's, I'm, I'm just, I feel like I'm just going to have to go back to get it over there. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to get it here. Well, there's a World Cup there next year, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The, three years. The, yeah. The, three yeah, 20, years. In 26. So. Yeah. I think mm. they, uh, they're skipping Chicago because this, the, the Chicago Bear Stadium only holds like 60,000 people and they want more than that. So, yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't make that. That was a shame. Yeah. So, so uh, I we were talking beforehand about uh, the the ice hockey in England because again we we're, we are a hockey podcast. We've been talking about football slash soccer the whole time, but it, like because the, the overlap here became because of P, uh, Peter Mrazek, the Blackhawks goalie who's originally from the Czech Republic, and he idolized Peter Czech, who was a famous mm. goalie all over Europe, and and they had uh, they brought Peter Czech over and they had him. They had a bunch of the Blackhawks players take penalty shots against him. And then they went out on the ice and put Peter Cech in goalie gear because he's playing ice hockey in England. So I, I where does ice hockey register on the radar for either one of you? And if the yeah, answer I, is it doesn't, that's totally fine. Yeah, I think it's probably certainly low on the radar for a lot of people in this country. Yeah. Like, say, Peter Cech played for Guildford, I think. I think that's not the only, that's yep. not the only thing I the, know about. The Guildford uh, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, that's about the only thing I know about ice hockey in this country, to be fair. I know, and I think the problem is because we're we're fairly um, neutral in terms of our weather generally. Day yeah. we don't get a lot of yeah. snow and ice here, so it's like you can't really go down the sort of park and unless you're using a tin can, you know, like we all see in the films or something like that. So yeah, I I have to be honest. I mean, I I, I I'm just looking at the teams here, like Milton Keynes Lightning. Solway Sharks, things like that. I've never even heard of these people, to be honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and, and I didn't even know there was an ice hockey league in England until this Peter Cech thing happened a few months ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but actually, we were talking a little about you. Uh, we talked about the stadium where Southampton plays. It's called St. Mary's Stadium. It was built in roughly 2001, 2002, correct? Something like that. That's right. Like that. Yeah. So I, I think this is another overlap between the Blackhawks fan base and Southampton's fan base in that uh, the Blackhawks used to play at Chicago Stadium up until 1995, which that stadium had been around since I believe the 20s, maybe even earlier. And it had a very old vibe, old feel to it that and it, there was a unique atmosphere within that building that can only be described by people who are there. And unfortunately, I am not one of those people, but I've heard great stories about it. Uh, and because Southampton used to play at the Dell, famously. That's right. and, and I've seen some lamenting among people that ever since St. Mary Stadiums has been built, it is a very nice stadium. But there was something that was lost at the Dell. And, and Ben, I imagine you're going to be able to speak to this better than anyone else. Cause I'm guessing you saw games at the old Dell and I would be interested to hear your comparison of that to what the stadium is now. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a 
you know, I always enjoy talking about the Dalman. I, mean, I, I went to my first game in what 1987, so well, okay. well before Alfie was born. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was looking. Yeah, I, I won't talk. Though that is the year I was born. So. Well, there you go. That's all right. That just makes <laughs> me feel a bit younger, Dave. We'll, so thanks. We'll, um, we'll thread <laughs> the gap. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was lucky enough to be there on the last game when uh, uh, they uh, they beat Arsenal three two, and Matt Letizia scored a, a famous goal. Um, I, I think the thing about it was it was you know, your sort of classic old football stadia, you know, rickety roofs. Um, we used mm-hmm. to go for a pee and it, that you'd be peeing in the gutter in the toilet, you know, that sort of thing. There was no roof on the toilet and, uh, you know, the, 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 the opposition teams. And I think this was the key thing and probably hopefully relates to what you're talking about is particularly the big boys, the Manchester United, the Liverpool's, those sort of teams. They didn't like coming to the, the Dell because fans were, it was really tight and enclosed mm. stadium because it was mm-hmm. built in between sort of, um, you know, four roads, particularly the Milton road and Archers road. And, uh, the, the fans were sort of pretty much, you know, a yard or two from the side of the pitch. So they were right in your face. You know, you went to get the ball to take a throw and they were shouting at you, that sort of thing. And I think, you know, moving to St. Mary's, as, as you rightly say, it's a lot more um, spaced out and modern. It's that, you know, I have to be honest, it's quite a boring bowl type, <laughs> uh, you know, design. Um, and I think for that reason, lots of these players are used to playing in those stadiums. And you're right. I mean, as soon as we moved there, it took us, I think we won our first game in November. So sort of three, four months into the season. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, I have to say that the Dow was a, a lovely place to go and watch them. And we, we picked up a lot of points through that. And I imagine hopefully similar to what you're talking about in terms of that, that losing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is somewhat similar. And I'll spin this to Alfie since you did not have the experience like, uh, um, like Ben had going to see games at the Dell, but as far as in stadium experiences go, like uh, I, I think I can't remember which one of you mentioned the the video they show about St. Mar- uh, Mary stadium in Southampton that started in a church. Do they do, are there really elaborate pregame videos and stuff like that at all stadiums that you uh, all the other teams in the premier league, do they have big, huge productions like that before matches? Yes. Well, like I mean, healthy. Yeah, certainly the Premier League, exactly. There's, there's, there's light, you know, there's laser shows, there's uh, pyro, you know, a lot of clubs will have their video stuff. And it's, it's one of those things that is, you know, it divides fans a little bit because some fans, if it doesn't go well, if it's a, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit cringy, it's a bit artificial, it's sort of like trying to manufacture an atmosphere out of nowhere. There was one particular game last season. Uh, against Nottingham Forest, who were one of the relegation rivals, (laughs) obviously. Um, And they had a light show before the game. They advertised it for two weeks, saying it would be something like the witch we'd never seen before. And the light show itself was okay, but pretty poor. It wasn't brilliant. (laughs) And then they went on and lost the game 1-0 and then eventually got relegated from the Premier League for the first time in 11 years. And fans pointed at the time, like, you know, that light show was not what we needed. We needed to focus on the football. And it was a bit embarrassing, I think. So... There is that element, but yeah, teams teams do have these, you know, music montages. It's always Kerncraft, Four Thousand, or Faithless. Uh, it's always that sort of music that builds you up into it. Mm. But that that thing you said about where they're trying to manufacture an atmosphere from nothing, I feel like that is almost the more commonplace thing because uh, every every team has now their pregame hype video, and there's the big music uh, music company, very loud. There's always lasers and lights. Sometimes there's fireworks going off, and it feels very. It just feels forced, like you said, and I, I wish I wish they would get away from that. And actually, this goes back to a conversation I had with somebody. Uh, it was one of the the cashiers at the team store after the game because he was wearing a New York Rangers shirt, I think, uh, and who's another NHL team. And we just randomly had a conversation about going to see uh, sports in America because he obviously told very quickly that I was not from Southampton. <laughs> um, but he... But he said, like every American is sporting, that it's like you're going to a show, not a game. And 
And uh, I don't know if you had that experience, Ben, when you've been to games over here for baseball. I feel like baseball is a little bit more reserved. But yeah, I but, but, think... yeah but, but but I was just going to say, I mean, they, as far as I know, and tell me if I'm wrong, they, they all get to choose their walk-up music and all that sort of yes. thing, don't they? So there is that scenario yeah. where, you know, suddenly, uh, I mean, I've been to Tropicana a few times because we, we tend to holiday in Florida. So, you know, Evan Longoria mm. or someone would come up and you know it's going to be him because his song's playing. And they obviously have that... 10 seconds sort of build up and again you know I've not been to NFL but I watched the documentaries and some of the games and I suppose you get it before where a lot of the team come out and then you get all the sort of the smoke and the paraphernalia and the quarterback comes out and is whipping (laughs) and hollering and you know so I suppose there is a lot of similarities isn't there yeah yeah for sure uh I I think there there's an element of the the sports are structured differently like with with football it's 45 minute halves and so you don't have a lot of time in between like you know, you couldn't have somebody's music playing every time they touch the ball throughout the match. Like that would be a little <laughs> unnecessary. But uh, I think uh, the other sports lend themselves to more of a creative. Uh, I don't know if creative is the word I would use, but they a more uh, production value, I guess. They, 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 they can get away with stuff like that. And you do get some clubs, and I'm sure Alfie's suffered it a lot on the road. Um, you know, you get some clubs that play music when the team scores a goal. So then the crowd sort of do that. I mean, obviously they don't use that at St. Mary's because we never score. But uh, <laughs> I think, <laughs> but, but you know, you do you do get it for you know whether it's the you know the white stripes or something like that. Alfie, don't you get that sort of um, yeah. some some clubs do that, and then the crowd starts singing it, and you do kind of get that through the game. Yeah, Burnley, one of those famous ones. I think Burnley's goal music is. Um, I can't actually remember what it is annoyingly, so it's a pointless anecdote, but they, <laughs> they enjoy it a lot and it gets the atmosphere going, like you say, and it, it does work in the right place. It does work. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think most hockey teams have a specific song they play for a goal like the Hawks have played Chelsea Dagger by the Fratellis for the mm. last 15 years. Although um, there, there's a significant portion of the fan base, and I think I'd put myself in there, that thinks they should abandon that song because that era of that team is pretty much over. All the players, coaches, everyone's gone now. So maybe they need to pick a new song. Uh, there's also teams that will do it like by players based off of some some uh, reference to their name or, or, or nickname or something like that. But uh, mm. so so that's that's a very um, I that that doesn't surprise me to hear that as well. Maybe maybe that's something we need to trial in football over here. You know, someone rather than sort of that is someone sitting up in the one of the boxes with his organ, and every so often we <laughs> shout charge or something like that. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, ter- uh, yeah, let, yeah. Bring that up at the next uh, fan club or, yeah, or yeah. The, the meeting <laughs> with the board and see what they think about it. That's actually, and that's actually a perfect uh, con- uh, spin into. Uh, I don't know how regularly this happens, uh, but there there was a big uh, – some point during last season with Southampton, there was a meeting with the board when everything was going to shit as the team was looking more and more like they were about to get relegated. And uh, I I don't know how – do, how do these work? Are these the, where It's like it looks like it's fans get to ask questions directly yeah. to the board members. Uh, can, you, can either one of you explain how this works? Because this is something that when I first learned that this was a thing like – I, I don't know where this happens in American sports, and I was fascinated by this concept. Yeah, so once or twice a season, they have a thing called a fans forum. Um, and last year, the one you were referring to was in like February, when like say everyone was going to shit. Well put, actually. Perfect description. <laughs> and what it is, it's usually four people sit in front of 100 and 120, something like that, fans. And you know supporters can apply through the website. And if you if you get a lucky pick, you get to turn up. Um, and yeah, you just get the chance to ask one question. You know, not everyone gets a chance, but they're actually sat there. Usually it's either the, like say, the owners. Last year it was the three owners of the club and the director of football, the director of sporting operations. And then there's another one next week um, at St. Mary's. And it's going to be the manager of the men's team, the manager of the women's team, um, the chairman of the football club, 
and then somebody else I can't quite remember. I think the director of operations again, Jason Wilkins. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just uh, it's just an opportunity for fans to sit face to face and. And they they tend to be advantageous for the owners, and and because it's very easy when you're actually sat in a room full of supporters to give the answers they want to hear. You can be honest, but it, you're, it's so easy to impress them. It's so easy to to say the right things and to 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 make sure that they think that you're doing the right thing. So it's a it's a good tool, in my opinion, for owners of clubs to win supporters over and justify the things they're doing. Yeah, and and I I think Alfie summed it up brilliant there, Dave. And I I think it would be interesting to find out how many clubs actually do do it because we give Southampton a lot of stick, you know, as fans and as journalists, and you know they're rubbish, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually, to be fair to them, doing that sort of thing, particularly when they were in the shit, as you guys have said last season, you know, I think they do deserve some credit for it because not many clubs do. And as Alfie says, they learn a lot from it about fan opinion, about ideas and stuff like that. But actually going through the process of doing it and sit in front of, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're consumers, right? We're It's mm-hmm. a business these days. It's not, you know, family football club as it used to be. So I think lots of clubs that, that, that don't do it maybe could benefit from it. And I think clubs like Saints that do do it probably deserve some credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Like the uh, the Chicago White Sox uh, are like there's an open revolt among their ownership, the organization, because this was supposed to be their era of success and it's everything's going the other way. Mm. No relegation coming, but if there was <laughs> relegation, they'd be competing for it. Uh, but, but they also, they used to have it. They uh, had a fan fest every year, which got uh, during the pandemic, they obviously had to cancel a couple of them. And then I believe they the one that they were supposed to have last year. And it's the only opportunity where there is some interaction between the fans and the, the general manager and the people who are making the decisions and they canceled it. And that is one on a ever growing list of grievances that the, the fans have against the team and the ownership because uh, they're just, they're, they're making bad decisions and, and then they're hiding from any sort of credibility associated with it. So the fact that, as you mentioned that Southampton uh, does that, that is something to be, to be commended. Although I guess the, the cynical side of me thinks, what does the, um, the, the questions that get asked, are they like, are they pre-screened at all? Do they, do they double check and make sure no one's going to ask anything out of line or do they let people just say whatever? Yeah. So supporters will basically, when they apply to go in, they will basically put in a question that they would like to ask. But then okay. once you're there, it's not like, you know, someone sits at the back and reads out all the questions. They bring a microphone over and okay. whatever comes out of your mouth is what the owners of the football club hears. So, um, okay. yeah, you have the opportunity to ask an actual question um, to an extent. Wow, that's that is uh, much more uh, much more in depth than I thought it was. I thought it was just like a like a, a just a good PR show to to make to make them look good. But it does sound like there's a legitimate effort on their behalf to. It goes uh, surprisingly smoothly as well. I mean, you'd have thought <laughs> that putting a microphone in front of some angry supporters would, would lead to some carnage, but it rarely does. Oh. <laughs> if, if you were if you were in front of the Blackhawks owners, then, Dave, what would you ask them? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, uh, two weeks ago, the, their team owner passed away and they had a kind of town hall thing about a year ago mm-hmm. and it did, it was not a very good moment. I would say he did not cover himself in glory to borrow mm-hmm. a phrase. Um, but, uh, and so his, his son, Danny Wirtz has now taken over. I think the main thing I would ask him is, um, how do they, how do they approach this business? Because, um, while like to your point, Ben, it is very much a business these days. It's mm. also it's not your typical business because your your quote products are human beings, your athletes, and the name of this company is not you know some random name you came up with. It's the name of a city where people yep. live. So I feel like mm. I would like to know that there is some acknowledgement that you do not view this strictly just as a business. That there's at least some acknowledgement of that. But I also 
I don't know what they think about that. Maybe one well, day. Interesting you mentioned that. I was actually I, bumped, I was basically talking to the CEO of Southampton when I was out in Turkey in Europe um, for their pre-season match warm-up matches, and I, I was speaking to him. He's basically joined from Dyson this year, uh, obviously okay. the, you know, the vacuum company. Yes, and he was saying that he was just trying to get his head around the fact that his assets are no longer Hoovers and, and factories and whatnot, but they're human beings. And it's exactly what you just said. Like he's trying to get his head around the fact that actually the the business is assets and, and what what makes it worth are human beings and not just products. Yeah, and I I don't mean to imply that it's an easy thing because it's definitely not. But it's it's a it's an interesting concept because if you're it, it feels like you can't just treat it like a business or like any other business because human beings are not inanimate objects. They they are going to react differently to things. Mm. So so the what other. Uh, what other overlap between the National Hockey League and Southampton Football Club that I wanted to touch on briefly? And we wanted to do this briefly because we talked about it a little bit earlier. And I, I heard I could hear like a verbal eye roll from Ben when I mentioned the name <laughs> Ralph Krieger. So so Ralph Krieger was the a head coach of the Buffalo Sabres and the Edmonton Oilers in the NHL. And then he left and ended up or excuse me, he was he came back and was a coach of the Buffalo Sabres. But between that. He went to Southampton and was named their director and and then was became the chairman of the club. I, I, I want to know just Ben, like what what was the five years or so that Ralph Krieger was around Southampton? What was that like? Um, yeah, I, I think it was fairly mixed bag. I mean, you know, we never tend to have periods where Southampton aren't going through some form of trauma. So I think at that time we had a, an issue, um, you know, with Salin sort of, you know, I think if fire sale was kind of underway and we had to bring a new manager in Ronald Koeman and uh, mm-hmm. things like that as well. And uh, I think it was quite a, a sort of, um, you know, challenge for for him. And um, I, I think the problem was, um, you know, he was he was probably, I'd, I'd say sometimes he was probably over-enthusiastic, Dave. And I think, you know, you, again, going back to what you just said, there it's like you do have to sort of read the room a little bit and I think you know Saints fans were a little unsure about what was going to happen and the kind of the direction we were going to go in and uh, I think I think also um the other thing was probably the terminology as well so I mean I, I don't really ever remember him calling it soccer too much but I think it was things like you know in, using phrases like the locker room the roster you know Southampton uh-huh. Saints you know stuff like that and I think you just yep. sort of you want to connect with people that you kind of think well you know they, they talk our language they understand our our sport and I think you have to sort of realize that actually you know you do need multicultural um sort of um backgrounds in in different sports because it that that's what can drive success and things like that as well but I think yeah we just found him a little eccentric and I you know I when I first started the podcast um I used to do it with a guy who who worked for the same company that Alfie now does and um I think the challenge for a lot of people was you sit down, you try and interview him and, and you'd get a lot of sort of political waffle that didn't really make any sense. And I think that's probably how fans felt as well, is that there was a lot of words coming out of his mouth, um, you know, not in an aggressive way, just in general, but they didn't always make a lot of sense. And you didn't really understand kind of what he was trying to achieve or where he was wanting to go, particularly with the club. And it's really funny to hear you say that because that is our biggest gripe with the hockey world in general is that <laughs> it is almost to the point where it feels like they are conditioned to uh, to talk and uh, to never say anything interesting that could be perceived any way other than uh, just just nothing open to interpretation. Just, you know, we're trying to do our best. We're trying to help the team win. Nothing, no personality, no interesting, nothing. So the fact that that was your first reaction to somebody who left the hockey world and went over to the Premier League, I think that's that's a that's in, in hindsight, that's exactly what I should have expected you to say. But the hearing you say it is, is uh, very interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, as Alfie's just said, you know, we've we've now got a, a guy that's come in that's doing the same role, um, you know, that's from a um uh, uh from a Dyson background. You know, we had someone before that I think Martin off the top of my head, Alfie was wealth management, wasn't he, or finance or something like that? Yeah, so, yeah you're right. Yeah, so so you do need different. You know, you have to understand that people will come in with different um, backgrounds. So I, I don't think you'd hear too many Saints fans saying really bad things about Ralph Kruger. I think just sometimes he and and again, you know, we had fans forums where he was on them, and you sort of sit and listen to his answers and think, well, I'm not sure I've really understood that, um, or maybe he's not understood the question. But ultimately, you know, we were in the Premier League and all the time that he was at the club and things like that as well. So I think going back to my earlier point about sometimes you have to to sort of weigh out the rough with the smooth. I think you know you have to to say that he didn't do a bad job because we didn't get relegated. Well, I think yeah. the first few years weren't they also like the most successful years you've had as a London? Yeah, supporter? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. the Ronald Coleman years, I, I think. Yeah. Was, yeah. was it fifteen yeah. in particular? Yeah, yeah. fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, yeah they're all yeah. three of them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, the Saudi Omani years. That's how I usually yeah. that he was <laughs> before he left for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. Um So I have I have two uh, a two part topic that I wanted to end on with but with each of you, and it's it's basically just food and drink related to the premier league. And mm. I think the most interesting thing that I learned while I was over there for a ma- for the two matches was you are not allowed to have alcohol within, in the seats. You can have it out on the concourse, but you cannot take it out to the seats. And I, mm-hmm. that's, that is correct across the, it's not just the premier league. It's all across anybody that's in yeah. anywhere. In the, Top so, four leagues, I think. Yeah. 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 So I, I think I'm, I believe from the things I've looked up, I know why this is the case, but mm-hmm. Ben, could you explain why this is the case? Do you know, I don't think I do know the reason actually, Dave, because I'm just thinking here, you know, if I go to cricket or if Alfie and I go to the rugby together or something like that, we can take alcohol to our seats. So I I, I wonder, I mean, is it a culture thing, Alfie? You think I better than I do. I think I can tell you. And Dave May, he sounds like he's done the research. So you know, wasn't it it some sort of like hooliganism act or something that was basically, yeah. I mean, initially we had had a disaster in a football stadium called Hillsborough Mm. um, where a load of, a load of supporters, 96, 97 supporters died because of a crush because people were trying to get in and one of the things that followed that was something called the Taylor Report done by Lord Taylor who's a government official and effectively the Taylor Report was just what are all the things that are causing problems and hooligans and stuff like this at, at football matches and they determined that alcohol was one of the major mm. factors and therefore they banned it within sight of all football pitches in like 86 or 88 or something like that Okay. Yeah, because there, there's a an ESPN made a documentary about that specific event and I believe they've they've since determined that it was more about the mistakes made by Policing. people in charge yeah. of the stadium and the police than anything alcohol related, but alcohol got blamed for everything at that mm-hmm. time. Um, mm. So, so I, I, so, so there's uh, I, cause that was a totally foreign concept. Cause it, again, in every stadium here, you can do that. And, and that's probably where a lot of the fights originate from both am- <laughs> among the, among the fans of the same team or of, of different teams. The problem with um, that though, Dave, is that if you don't let people drink in their seat, what they'll do is they'll drink excessively before the match instead. Yes. And that's why you get all these fights in the pubs and on the way into the games and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah Not yeah. that it's a huge problem now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember running into somebody in Southampton who told me to like be careful at the at the stadium so you don't get jumped in. But like it, it seems like that was not like if I no, wanted to no. find a fight, I could have, but I yes. didn't really want to, so I was fine. No, it's very rare in a place like Southampton as well. Southampton's not known for that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like uh the I remember before the match it was like five, ten minutes before the the kick and like the stadium was empty and I was looking around like where is yeah. everybody? <laughs> and then I, like everyone finished their drink at the same time, put it down, and then the whole thing was full. It was it was hilarious to see. 
but but I think again that's the difference, isn't it? Because you know, if I if I go to baseball or you go to baseball, you know, you see people they're constantly up and down. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's go and get some crackers, yes. come back, go and get a beer, go and get a hot dog. Yes. You know, and then they leave after the eighth innings or something like that. So I mean, we we leave, you know, we leave football early, so I can't um, not you know, argue with that one, particularly if it's going badly. But I think that's the thing is, you know, they they sort of feed themselves, drink themselves, go to the toilet, and then they, you know, in in England we will sit three, four to five minutes unless yeah. you know we yeah. we have to. You know, you kind of watch the whole game and then you go down at halftime. Yeah, exactly. It's like you you watch the game that you paid to go see. Like, like it feels like it feels like there's a lot of the the way sports are marketed in America. It's it's more about the experience of eating and drinking and everything else than necessarily going and watching the game you're actually there to see. But mm. that's that's my that's my very specific rant that I've probably bored everyone everyone <laughs> in my life about. So I'll I'll, I'll, I'll stop here. Uh, but I so then the last thing that I want to end on was just a food related topic. Uh, we talk we do this with all of our guests. Um, what's the most interesting or best or just most memorable thing that you have had at any of the, the places you have been? Uh, I imagine Alfie might have been to a few more stadiums and had a, a few more experiences than you have been, or maybe not. Um, well, Ben's, Ben's certainly uh, been yeah, yeah. more than the well, other okay. me there. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think probably, I mean, this is going to sound really boring, but I think probably something that I had that I'd never had before, Dave, was a corn dog, which you, all your okay. listeners are now going to go, oh my God, I've had gazillions of corn dogs or whatever. But uh, I think probably just the concept of having a hot dog on a stick wrapped in you know corn yeah I, I suppose i mean it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world it was nice but i suppose in terms of trying something new that i've not had before uh probably that okay because there, there's a team down the street from me that plays baseball at uh it's uh for college baseball players for the summer called the lake county corn dogs so there you go <laughs> there you go is, now- is their mascot dressed as a corn dog uh yes <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what, what about what about you, Alfie? I know you with a uh, you re- just referenced you were at a match in Turkey, so I don't know if you had any experiences there or, or elsewhere. Well, Turkey was mainly just kebabs twice a day for four uh, days. Well, to be honest not, with you, not a bad thing. Oh, it's it's, it's a brilliant thing, I would argue. Um, but in England, not I mean, it's mainly pie. I mean, pies yeah. are a big thing in England, and we I get to go all over the all over the country and go to northern grounds. And pies are better in the north of England than they are in the south. That's just a mm. fact. So whenever I go to the okay. north of England, I'll try and I'll try and find a pie. <laughs> ben, I don't know. Ben, did you agree with his assessment of pies in England? Uh, yeah, and, and uh, no, I do. I think you can you can get good pies over there. I mean, yeah, the further north you go, you tend to get in sort of you know chicken bolty and steak and kidney and all those sort of things. And okay. uh, yeah, I mean, Alfie's obviously a lot more uh, sort of uh, aware of uh, the uh, media um, food that they get and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, because there's always sort of lots of questions about, I mean, I won't get into the whole gravy thing, but you know, there's a certain part of um, the UK, Alfie, isn't yeah. there, where you then tend to have gravy on your chips, whereas, you know, the thought of doing that down south is, you know, abhorrent really. So Where uh, I come so from is curry sauce on chips. Curry sauce, see, oh, yeah, I, yeah. See, I would take that over gravy. But yeah, I, I think, yeah. you know, for quite a small country, Dave, we do have lots of different sort of regions that uh you know do uh do do that but yeah I, I would agree with alfie um you know other than a roast dinner which is obviously very stereotypical um a good pie is uh you know very welcome is uh is pie caramba still open in southampton Caramba. Oh, i've never heard of pie caramba I've, I've tried I hope it is. <laughs> I, yeah it's it was it, like uh it very much like a lot of simpsons and comic book stuff inside and, and i don't re- i don't remember specifically what pie i had when i was there but just by the name and and the way it's on the inside that's like, awesome this one. yeah it's uh yeah yeah well, I look it up if it, i i'm fairly certain that was the name of it which is an obvious simpsons reference and actually you know what because i've heard a few simpsons references on the total saints pod uh simpsons are huge in england right yeah, yeah. i watched it a lot when i was younger for sure yeah, yeah. it was a staple of my my household 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah likewise. I mean, I, I, can, I can still remember being at junior school, which I, again, sort of trying to think about the American school systems, you know, when Bart Simpson had his album out with do the Bart man and all that sort of thing on it. <laughs> yeah. The pipe yeah, rumba is still open, by the way, for sure. All right, good, yeah. good. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll put it on my list if I ever make it back over there. Um, well, Alfie and Ben, you've been incredibly generous with your time, so I don't want to keep you any longer. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on uh, the Second City Hockey Podcast Network and uh, Southampton to the top of the table this year, right? Yeah, certainly near there, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so, somewhere in the top 22, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, thank you so much again, Ben and Alfie. It was a pleasure.